If you were to ask me, Bronwyn, what is the single most important skill to have as a communicator? I wouldn't even hesitate because the answer to that question is right at the tip of my tongue. The single most important skill to have as a communicator is storytelling. Here's the thing. Facts, important. The ability to make a cogent, reasonable argument, super important. But nothing changes people like story. Story is probably the only thing that can get someone to see the world differently, to take up a different position. And this is as true in business as it is in politics, as it is in policy, as it is in academia, as it is in science. Humans are hardwired to remember, repeat, and be moved by a story well told. And my guest today is a champion storyteller, and his name is Corey Rosen. He is releasing a new book into the world. It's called Your Story Well Told, Creative Strategies to Develop and Perform Stories That Wow an Audience. God, I love that title. And just so you know, Corey occupies the distinguished number one position in my podcast, which means that he and I spoke in July of 2019, and it is Still the most popular episode of 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. But Corey's new book is a powerful guide to getting stronger as a storyteller. It drops March 30th. So if I were you, I would pre-order that baby so that it shows up bright and shiny on your doorstep and you'll just be able to scoop it up and, and take in all the goodness. And listen, I am all about getting better as a storyteller. Because becoming a good storyteller is a lifelong journey. It's a continual practice. It's not some magical point in time where suddenly it becomes easy. So even if you consider yourself to be a killer storyteller, I think this is still a great book to use to continue to hone those skills. And just as a refresh, in case you haven't heard that first episode with Corey, Corey Rosen is a visual effects artist and a storyteller living in San Francisco where he hosts the Moth Story Slam and Grand Slams. And if you don't know what the Moth is, oh my word, talk about a great podcast. Get on over to the Moth. I think it's called the Moth Story Hour. It's so freaking good. But Corey has been featured on Moth Radio Hour and is a company performer at Bats Improv. His book, as I mentioned, is coming out March 30th, 2021, and it can be found wherever books are sold. And if you're tempted to go to the usual spot to get your book, consider looking for independent bookstores, especially bookstores owned by people of color. My favorite bookstore right now to buy books online is Elizabeth's and Akron, and you can Google it and get it there. She's doing great stuff. Big fan of Rachel Cargill. So find Corey on Facebook and Instagram at Story Rosen, S-T-O-R-Y Rosen. See what he did right there? He made his name Story instead of Corey. So, so clever. And with that, let's dive in. I'll see you on the other side. So I actually want to start by asking you about the title, Your Story Well Told. How did you come up with that? Because that's a hell of a good title. Thank you. It really Well, is. I think that that's the mission statement of the book. So mm-hmm. the title came out of what that is, which is the idea that I'm not going to tell you my stories. I mean, of course, in the book, I use 
many of my own stories as examples, but the objective here isn't to impress you with what a good storyteller I am. I never want to like read a book by an author to be like, wow, they're so good. I, especially in this subject matter, I want to know how can I tell my stories better? Yeah. So the mission of this book is that everybody has stories. It is about finding our stories. It is about shaping our stories and it is about telling our stories, whether it's telling them to dozens hundreds, thousands of people, or telling them to our grandchildren. The way we communicate, the way that we get through life, the way that we get through pandemics is by doing this, by connecting, yeah. by communicating, and by storytelling. That's exactly right. I think the biggest obstacle, at least that I see in my work, because I get brought in a lot of times to help with storytelling, is that people don't think they have stories to tell because they're li- the details are too quotidian and their lives are too normal. And this and that, but that's not the case. We're all bursting at the seams with stories. How do you get people to accept that they do have stories that do deserve to be developed? Because that's what the book is about. It's about developing the stories, right? Totally, totally. And the things that people often think of, their go-tos for stories is they think it has to be something crazy or it has to be something, you know, like a life-defining moment. It doesn't always have to be that. Very often it's the small moments, it's the Mm -hmm. failures, it's the upsets that when we re-explore, re-examine and look at those through the lens of telling it as a story and we see the inner life, we see what you went through, We can connect, we can relate, we can experience your life through that experience. That's I right. just today watched and got to experience Amanda Gordon's great moth story. I don't know if you saw it. No, I'm obsessed with her, Corey. I mean, and we all are, right? Oh. She, is, she is such a powerful speaker, storyteller, human individual. And she won a moth grand slam by telling a story about an audition when she auditioned for the Lion King in LA, a skinny black girl with a speech impediment doing an audition for a Broadway play. And oh it's beautiful, wonderful. She won the, won the moth grand slam with that story. And this was before. Cause she's 22. So this was years ago when she was 19, right? <laughs> or, like Or 20, who knows, who knows, but she's, who is she? she's spectacular. And, yeah. and, it's a great example to me mm-hmm. of a story well told because it wasn't the defining moment of her life. It was a moment in her life, yeah. but it contains within it her relationship with her mom, her yeah. relationship with herself, mm-hmm. her relationship to her perspective of herself and the way she puts herself out into the world, the way that the world reacts back to her. There are interactions, micro interactions throughout that experience. And ultimately it is as uplifting as her as her inauguration poem that way that you just it just gets you and you you. feel you feel it and that's what a great story does i'll give you a spoiler she doesn't get it Mm -hmm. it's not it's not an incredible day it was a quotidian day it was a normal day it was a day of failure Mm -hmm. but when we examine our lives we examine those moments and we look for what's what's the takeaway or what did Mm -hmm. i see about myself we can so one way that i like to do that is to look at kind of like you're doing now with homework for life, the idea of like, what's right in front of me right now? What's something that I just experienced? So I'm not looking too far back in the lens of my life, but I'm looking at what happened today. What's something that I got out of today and that how might I relate that to a bigger today? Like what's Mm -hmm. the, what's really going on in that? 
Yes. And so something that I can go to a lot with that is I can connect a now moment with a then moment. Ooh, say more about that. So imagine that you're in a situation like one that I'm reminded of recently was a story that I told about a family vacation that I went on with mm-hmm. my kids and we were on a cruise and you know the cruise lines have these excursions where you can mm-hmm. pay them X amount of money per person to get on a big bus with all the other people and you're driven to the place and you get all get off and you all take the same picture and you get back on the bus. <laughs> You go back home, you know, in the last couple of years, went on one of those vacations with my family and with my young, young kids. Mm-hmm. And I was confronted kind of with this, like, do I do that or do I do what my dad did? So it takes me back in time yes. to my childhood. And when we went to the Caribbean as a family and my dad never would do the big tour bus thing, right. he would have an adventure. <gasps> he would take us on his own in a rented Jeep. Yikes. To a, to a distant beach down a you know a rocky, muddy path with my mom, Jerry, you know, yelling at him. And we finally get to a piece of land where there's nobody else and we could just play in the ocean. And we don't know, are we gonna get out of here or not? Are we gonna make it back to the boat? Whatever. But it was these memorable moments that I had as a kid. So then I come back to now of being now in that situation with my kids. And I'm like, no way am I going to do that to my (laughs) wife and my kids. I'm not going to take, we're going to get on the bus. And then I look at the price. I'm like $80 a person. That's ridiculous to get on a bus. Jerry wasn't so far off, was he? He wasn't. And we were there with like nine or 10 of us. So I started looking, you know, as we're booking the things and I find basically a van that'll take you, you know, in like nine people for a fraction of the price. <laughs> so my story is about that, about getting off the Disney ship in Jamaica and Leon picks us up with an open red stripe, a joint behind his ear and it's 8.30 in the morning. Oh, good morning, you know. <laughs> and that began our adventure into that experience. And the upshot of that, I mean, I go into all this great detail in the story, but the upshot is it was a thrill and it was terrifying and it was the highlight of everyone's experience. And maybe my dad wasn't so wrong. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I take a a moment in my life, I connect it to a previous moment. What's a memory? And then how does that then in itself create an arc from how I was, how I thought I should be, or I thought things were. And now it's a parallel experience. I'm the dad. I'm the making this decision and experiencing a different perspective on, on the fear that I had maybe as a kid. God, that is triggering so many different memories inside of me. And what I love about that is it's such an easy to remember device for pulling out a story and extracting the meaning and making it into something that people can connect to and relate to. God, that is so, so, so good. And I love that. And here's one of the things that evolved for me over COVID. I started a morning story writing practice. And so every morning I just get 500 words down. I I can write whatever the hell I want, but it's got to be 500 words at least. And this morning I was sitting down. I'm like, I got nothing. I didn't leave this freaking chair for nine hours yesterday. I got nothing. Then I was like, no, that's not true. I had an altercation with my teenage daughters last night because they told me they were talking with someone on Snapchat that was a friend of a friend. And immediately I was like Liam Neeson rescuing my daughter from sex trafficking. I was like, how do you know that's not a hairy 40 year old? Like you could get kidnapped. And she's like, oh my God, mom, like 
I was trying to tell you a happy story. I literally talked to her. She's 14. She has a 14 year old's voice. And I was like, yeah. right, right. And what that story became was a story about how critical it is to build in winding down time before you talk to your kids, yeah. because we are velociraptors when we come out of these long days. And if we don't sort of unclench, we release the Kraken on these children and it's really not a great thing. And so that became the story, but it only, I think what I'm getting at is what I love about your work is that you're advocating for people to create these systems, to create this relationship to their own memory, their own story, their own lives. Yeah. And I does. just love that about the book. Yeah. And, I, and that's a perfect example. I mean, the way that you both experienced that, caught yourself, corrected it, at least intellectually, mentally caught yourself yeah. doing that thing that so many of us do, which is jump to our perspective, our opinion of that. Yeah. That's wrong. Correcting the behavior instead of listening to it. It's not just I should do better next time. It's made it into something that is a story, which is how you approach mothering and That's parenting right. That's right. and protecting and how in the world that we know and the worlds that we don't know, like our yes. children's social media lives, which is yes. scary because we don't know it because it's a black box and maybe it's fine. That's it. Our children play video games and talk to each other on headsets and, and we don't know what's happening there all the time. At least I, I don't. Know. I and know. yet it's a learning moment for us too. Of That's it. When were we unsupervised as kids? When were we making mistakes and learning from our mistakes? Yep. That's exactly right. And the thing that I, the other thing that I learned this year, and this is for all the business people listening out there, which is a lot of people, mm -hmm. I think what business has done a poor job of is valuing the collecting of these stories, the development of these stories that become the thing that drive the pitch, the sales yeah. pitch, the collateral, the this and that. And so what you're left with is this garbage language that businesses put out into the world and then wonder why no one responds to it. Yeah. It has to be based in story. And the Absolutely. only way to have stories is to work with them and develop them, right? Definitely. Your decks, your PowerPoint presentations, your keynotes, if they're too full of data points, yeah. those are those are forgettable, but story points are less forgettable. They're That's more it. memorable. That's we can it. connect to the problem, the things that you tried, the things that didn't work, That's the right. solution that you found, and the learning that you had on the other side of it. Yeah. And usually in a good business case study, that learning, of course, has something to do with your product, your company, your service. Yep. Yep. And if you just come out with, here is the, the data. Yeah. There are people who respond to data. I'm not knocking you data nerds out there who who you got your data and you want your data to back it up. But the thing that we connect to and the thing that we visualize in our head isn't a graph or a chart, but it's a person. It's a, That's, right. it's a That's exactly right. So the other thing I wanted to ask you too, because I noticed you're talking about your story well told, like to, educating the reader how to tell your own story better, the skill of developing and delivering it. But I noticed that you devote some time to feedback, to yes and, mm, yeah. but you delineate very clearly, yes and doesn't mean you necessarily agree. Why did you think it was so important in a book where you're trying to train people to develop their stories to talk about the art of feedback? Like how do those two things fit together so cleanly? Great question. I am a, well, first of all, I'm a strong believer in 
expectation and accepting the idea that your work must evolve, your work will get better, it will start somewhere and it will grow and change and evolve. Mm -hmm. And I think a big block for a lot of people is that block of it's not a good idea, no one will like it, it's bad. And it stops us from starting because the fear of failure or the fear of not being liked or whatever that fear is can stop us from starting versus the idea of like, let's start somewhere. Let's start with something and let's see what can build with that. So in the creative aspect, if I'm creating something, I like to do something that I call my vomit draft, which is just get it out in the bad version, in the first version, spit it out. And then the feedback process, whether that's me giving feedback to myself or mm. in like in my process, I'll often for a story, share it with someone else, tell it mm. to my brother, tell it to my wife, tell it to my kids. I don't know. Tell it to someone. Yeah. And I feel that in the world of, of that, of saying, hey, can I get some feedback from you? It's helpful to have rules of engagement in terms oh. of what's going to be helpful and what's not going to be helpful. And in the sense of some, if someone's going to ask me for feedback, I will take from the world of improvisational theater Mm. an approach of yes and. And by that, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's awesome and just it's perfect. And yes, it's great. I'm not talking about a kind of Pollyanna vision that like you can do no wrong and everything is good because that's not true. Yeah. What I do believe, though, is that something's good. Mm. And the, it's like, let's find what's, what is working. And if in our work or in our colleagues' work or our friends' work, we can find, you know what I really liked? I really liked that it was about your mother, you know, mm. that it was about that. Like maybe in the story <laughs> that you just told me, I really liked the moment when you caught yourself, when she, when you, you pulled back from her telling me like, what, you know, it was nothing. And then I remembered, Maybe I just need to take a moment and ask you, how was your day, honey? Or give myself a moment. Like I liked that the story stopped. Mm, and and so to yes and that, I'm like, let's look at that. And then my yes and might be, and it would be nice to do that throughout the story. Maybe you could stop yourself periodically to just reflect and then move forward with the story and use that device where you're telling the story, but then you're reflecting on it. And then you're telling more, like, I liked that. Oh my God, it is so much fun working with you, Corey. I wish you were, I wish you lived in the same office with me. I would just tell you my stories and get all these feedback. I know, but the, that's the whole idea. So the idea is, let's look at the flip side. Yeah. Let's look at how feedback usually works, which is that yeah. you pitch your idea to someone and they play the problem spotting game, which is let's poke holes. Well, I didn't really understand that. I didn't really like that. And they're just poking, poking, poking until the if your idea is a beautiful balloon or beautiful object and you're poking holes, all of a sudden it's just a broken, deflated, there's nothing left. So I strongly believe that Mm. every idea that you've got, there's something good in there. Mm -hmm. And if we shine the light, if we, the metaphor I like to use a lot is if it's like a plant, Mm. part of the plant's really healthy and part of the plant's kind of dying. Instead of putting all of our attention on, oh, we should really take, you know, let's just water the healthy parts of our stories, of our plants, of our work, and they will flower. And the shriveled up bad parts, they will take care of themselves. They will find their way out of your story. But the good parts, the parts that are working, maybe the whole story is about that. Yeah. And it's not about that other thing that wasn't working. So that's where to the topic of like agreement, you don't even have to agree with what you're talking about. Maybe it's not my life and I don't 
like that. But I can find something that I can connect with and I can give you positively framed feedback that's going to make your work better. I love that. It's also, it's just a useful construct for, you know, right now we're in the space, this is the space time continuum warp that we're in where we're recording it on a certain day and then people hear it on another day. But we're in this moment in our country where there's such a disparity between the reality bubble I live and swim in and the reality bubble that you know, 43% of the country swims in. And it's very hard to absorb the stories that are not part of our bubble. I'm doing so many talks and workshops around active listening and my version of yes and, right? Which is what's behind the question or what's the emotion that's behind the words and how might we have compassion for that and connect to that. But it's useful to use that improv vibe to talk instead of like reacting to the what we perceive to be toxic or problematic, connecting to, well, I say more about this thing, this part I connect to as a way of dealing with it. It's just another tool to just yeah. be human together. It's hard mm -hmm. to be human with other humans right now. But just looking at ourselves as we are one country, we are one mm -hmm. people, we are one community, we have more in common than not. Yeah. I have relatives that live in Iowa who mm. on their Facebook feed have rehashed news that I don't agree with that I don't yeah. think was true. Yeah. I still like those people. Yeah. You know? I, feel the I, same need, I need it in my head to to mute some of the conversations and not engage in in fighting with them. Yeah. I think that when we tell each other our stories, yes. We remember that we're, oh yeah, we're family or we're connected and how we get there is how we get there, you know? Yeah. So active listening is a beautiful way to do that. Yeah. Listening to them, saying back what you heard, feeling heard and listened to is a great way to not necessarily to change your mind, but to mm -hmm. understand somebody else's and how That's they it. got to that point of view. I love that. There is a lot of fear. I think a lot of people feel fear about the unknown and that's common for everyone. You yeah. know, it's common regardless of your politics. A lot of what I've read from other political positions is fear that, well, this is going to happen. Well, I just want to say, let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's believe in the process. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to a couple of people about coronavirus and I don't know, it was like October and they were saying with absolute seriousness, this is a hoax. It was invented by the Democrats to whatever, and it'll all be over by election. And I took a beat and I said, well, you know, the good thing about what you just said is that it's binary. Like we'll know, you know, yeah, and then we yeah. can move on and solve based on that. But I sure hope you're right. It would be so great to go back to yeah. life as normal in December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah. yeah. Oh. Anyway, one other question, because I want to be respectful of your time, but I loved the section where you talked about the open and the close mm, yeah. because I am a big fan of you know, I call it the act one and the act three and the act three is the sublime close. Yeah. And I want to hear what you teach about a strong open and a strong close. I love that part of the book. Of course. I think in any experience that you have, the parts that are the most memorable mm -hmm. are what we call the peak and end experiences. So if you imagine going to a concert, you remember your favorite song that was played in the middle she played Jolene, right? I remember seeing Dolly Parton at the Shoreline Amphitheater in San Francisco, That's amazing. right? And just a few years ago. And it was, 
there was this part. It was like she played Jolene, I want to say third or fourth in her set, right? Wow. And so I was out, you know, like getting some food and some snacks. I was with my friend Dan. And all of a sudden, you can hear Jolene. And all these people who are kind of like the, yeah, I'm going to hang around, not going in quite yet. All of a sudden, <laughs> running, <laughs> run, running. Run, Please don't take my man. In their heels and with their juggling their beers and wines, you know, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> But running in to hear Jolene, like, I can't miss Jolene. And so, you know, there's like the moment, that moment. But then there's also, what's that song that started it and that song that ended it? You know, they usually end with the big hit. And I I will always love you. That was her cool. Anyway, we remember those those terminal experiences. The first song, the last song. And we leave the concert feeling, oh my God, what a great concert. Yes. Story, any story can be like that. You start strong, hook me, like, ooh, yes. story about, yeah. I want to hear more, and end the story somewhere where I feel, uh, I feel that satisfaction, that- That payoff. Payoff, or what often happens in conversational storytelling right. is then it, it doesn't just end, it goes, oh my God, that totally reminds me of this other time that I had this other thing, and then you have that- Wonderful. Which is the improv game you and I played the last time we spoke, which really is such a powerful tool for injecting story or injecting connection in a conversation. In fact, right now, because, and you're doing, and the, one of the things I want my listeners to know is that you are teaching improv in virtual environments yeah, right that's now, true. Yeah. which is if you're listening to this. Don't invest in some dumb, stupid skill building workshop that is boring and you want to shoot yourself. Get into Corey's virtual freaking improv classes. That is the best money you will ever spend in your freaking life, I'm telling you. Unless it's my course, in which case, spend away. (laughs) But but I'm serious. Like, oh, but this is what I wanted to say. The meetings that we have that are virtual are so cold and so disconnected and so lifeless. And so I'm constantly like working with people to come up with, you know, what's your question of the day? Like, how might you start a session? Tell us about that device that we were just talking about. You have, it has a name and I can't remember. That reminds me of a time. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of the time. So that reminds me of the time is just in brief. It is not telling an entire full story, but it is a kind of storytelling stream of consciousness exercise. Mm-hmm. Where I tell you a story about going on a cruise with my family, or I re- I'm reminded of going on a cruise with my family, yeah. and my dad embarrassed me on a nude beach. Like that's <laughs> something. Okay, so now it goes to you, and you go, okay, any part of that story did it remind you of anything? An embarrassing thing, a nude beach story, a beach story, a family vacation, oh. anything. Yeah. Well, in high school, my, one of my best friends, Chelsea and our other best friend, Neil did a history project together. And it was a, it was an oratory thing. And we, you could choose the history of anything. And we chose the history of the rights of nudists. And we were at a Catholic school. And so we intentionally chose the most provocative, hideous thing. And we were going to wear like, like nude spandex and just blow minds and melt faces. And it turns out we did a really fucking good job. And we made it to like the state championships. And we showed up to that state championship shattered because we'd been out to like two in the morning partying the night before we were seniors. And I will just never forget how awesome it was to take something provocative to our Catholic school. And our teachers were like, Y'all nailed that. Go to Matt, go to the state championship. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so then I would, in the game version, then I would say, okay, history, you know, maybe some aspect of history class yes. that reminds me 
of my highlight of high school history, which was that we restaged the Joseph McCarthy trials. <gasps> and someone got to be Roy oh. Cohn, someone got to be Joe McCarthy, and everybody in the class was on the stand. They were had to prove that they weren't a communist. And I was part of the committee to prove everyone was a communist. So I would find information from the yearbook and doctor them. Oh, and my God. It was amazing because it wasn't just learning about history. It was recreating and reenacting and doing the deeds of history. So God, that, that is such a killer idea. If there's any teachers listening, you ought to snatch that idea. So good. Yeah. So that um, device I love. And so, yeah. So the, as a game, the idea is it's riffing and it's not yes. making, and it's not making any of the stories too precious. It's really about, to me, it's really about you know, sort of plumbing your memory Yes. Of not just like, what's my best, what's the important story, but like, huh, maybe I have something in my nude, right, nudist rights <laughs> story or in my Joseph McCarthy trial high school yes. experience. Like there are moments that you've lived that now you can remember and find your stories by reconnecting. And this is a, a way of doing it in sort of a, a socially ricochet you know it's like I playing tennis that. with ideas i love that i love that okay can i switch gears and ask you i want to just geek out on writing for a second okay. you just wrote a book yeah and as glennon doyle says nobody can write a book it's too hard <laughs> you just do a page at a time how did you how did like what was your strategy for getting that done i mean t yeah. storytelling is and i know this is your jam and this is what you do it's still hard to talk about and write about and structure how did you freaking come up with the framework that let you do the get the job done great question for me mm -hmm. that was the the first part was i i couldn't if i just sit down and start to write page 1 of the book i would have probably written myself into a hole which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I know that a lot of fiction writers do that. You know, National Novel Writing Month kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, really no Just start writing it yeah. and find your way through it. I think the Coen brothers write their movies like that a lot where they write into trouble and then they find their way out of trouble. But yeah. with this book, mainly because it's a book that's also an instructive book, it's a kind of a, a guidebook to yeah. how we can tell better stories. I framed the book in three easy to kind of define sections about mm -hmm. ideating, like coming up with finding my ideas, structuring, shaping those ideas, and then performing or presenting those ideas. Mm -hmm. So I had sort of the three acts of the of the book and understanding that my audience will be very different, whether it's students or moth storytellers or business presenters or I mean in my in my classes that I teach, I've had Episcopalian ministers want to give better sermons or oh God. You know, I had, I need I had to get an priest in there so I don't have to be so bored and mass. Yeah. And I had an Oscar nominee who had made a short film that was nominated and she didn't want to tell a boring thanking everybody. She wanted to tell a story in her Oscar speech. That's and amazing. she did she did not win, but she had a great it was definitely better than the one that was given on that day. But I'm sure it was. Those speeches suck. I can't yeah. believe how consistently they suck. Yeah. And yet the ones that stand out are the ones that are stories. So if you really oh. think of and you pay attention to the ones that are good. So anyway, in writing, for me, writing the book mm -hmm. meant like beating it out, you know, like, mm. okay, I'm going to start with the, these ideas in big blocks, ideation, structure, and performance. And then I broke, subdivided that. Okay, well, what am I going to do? What is stories, you know, what storytelling, you know, why are we storytelling? The business of storytelling, the fun of storytelling. Like I started to break out 
different ways of looking at storytelling, you know, as a craft, as an yeah. art, as a business. And when and you're doing this, Corey, are you like, is it like post-it notes on the wall? Do you use a brainstorming app? Like what's your, how do you collect and organize when you're going wide like that? You've got your framework, but now you got to fill it all yeah. in. Like, how did you do that? For this book, it was more pages and Microsoft Word and just like writing ideas, writing notes. And then, of course, the scary part then becomes when it's like, okay, now I'm going to write the content. Now I'm going to write the stuff. <laughs> and I had to listen to myself, which is like, I'm going to write the bad version of chapter one and I'm going to get it out. And yeah. you do. And then, then you either say, now I'm going to like, I really strongly think that we need to differentiate between coming up with ideas and evaluating ideas. Yes. Because the, the biggest danger that so many of us have is that we have a little critic who's always on our shoulder and the blinking cursor and you go, mm, you sure mm -hmm. that's the word you want? Yeah. And, and then you so, never get even a word down. And you don't do it because you're like, you write the, in the beginning and yeah. that's, that's that's been used. That's in the Bible. Once upon a time, no, too cliche. Dick, dick, yeah. dick, 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 dick. Yeah. Yeah. There once was a man. Oh no, I'm not going to do that. I got punched Ooh. in the face by a mom today. That is yeah. how your freaking book starts. And I I was like, God damn it, that's a yes. great first line of a book. Yeah. I got punched in the face by a mom today. Is that how it starts? Something like that. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so yeah. good. And then I was off to the races. Like I decided, you know what? I'm going to start by telling a story. Yeah. I'm not going to start by telling you how to tell a story. I'm going to start with a story, and then the next thing I do is I start to look back at the story that I just told. Not to say, look at how awesome that story was, but like, you know what I just did? I just told you a story. Let's untangle that. Let's pick it what apart. Made, yeah. What made that a story? What what worked? What didn't work? How might I fix that? And then later in the book, I kind of critique my own stories and I apply some of my own techniques. So it's really not about impressing you with my great storytelling. It's about showing you the process that anyone can take any story and make it. And writing a book can be the same, which is to say, get it out, yes. put it down, yes. don't critique it as you go. There will be plenty of time yeah. to critique it and to go back and to reword it or to show it to someone else and have them redline it and say, I didn't understand this and go into yeah. more detail and this is necessary and this is problematic yeah, um, or whatever that is. I love that. And I think if if there's one thing that I'm, my hope is with this book is that people will stop seeing storytelling is this like precious, I'm not worthy. It's lives in the houses in the holy of the holies. And I can't access it. it's like, no, it's like any, it's like a tennis swing. You just got to work on it. Yep. You know, it totally. needs to be worked on. I want to just wrap this up by asking when you think about the journey that you've been on for the last 12 months, whether that's COVID or writing the book, like what is a story that is like, Oh, if I had to sum up 2020, it would be this story or these stories. Does anything come to mind? Well, a big one comes to mind, and I don't think I've really told the story to anybody. But Ooh, it's this, an exclusive. It's an exclusive. It's a 20 minutes with Bronwyn exclusive. <laughs> Copyright 2021. Copyright 2021. But it is, we are recording this. It is January 2021. And January 2020 began with my wife going in for cancer surgery to remove her tumors in her breast. Wow. And one year ago, almost exactly one year ago, the year began with that terror of losing the person that I love the most in this world. 
after having gone through almost nine months of chemotherapy and watching her fight it and all of the things that so many people have themselves gone through or known yeah. friends or family members who have done that yes. and being starting the year in that way. And that moment where in the morning she went in kissing her good luck, goodbye into surgery mm -hmm. and sitting with her mom and watching the periodic status updates come on the little screen that the patient is out of surgery is wow. you know, all these things. Yeah. And that morning it was pouring rain pouring rain when we went into the surgery and when we came out the sun was shining and the year ahead looked hopeful and beautiful and wow. just a few days before her surgery we had gone to LA for New Year's and on the way back we were driving along the five in uh, California and we stopped at a rest stop and to go to the bathroom and get some food and a woman just comes up to her and asks do you have cancer and she said, yes. And she said, can I pray for you? Oh, my God. And she held her hands and she took her close and she prayed out loud. And my wife closed her eyes and accepted it. <gasps> and I feel like so many people in her life, in our lives, did that for us and with us for that whole time, that whole journey. And when COVID started and we had to hunker down and shelter in place. I think we carried that through this year, this idea that this year started on such such a personal low and a mm. place of fear that even though the world is fraught and is suffering, mm. and this year we suffered in so, so many ways, wow. COVID one among them, that I look to where we are now, all of us, personally and in, in our health and everything, I think that we can look to strength, we can look to power, and we can look to prayer, and yeah. we look to connecting with other people. And I miss that a person can grab my hand in a jack-in-the-box and yeah. pray for me. And one day we'll get there. We won't have to pray from six feet apart. But wow. I think that there's a future that we can feel connected to, and that's where I enter this this year. Wow. What a story. What a moment. What a moment. How are things now? How is great. she now? She's great. She's great. Her hair is crazy. Oh my it's, God. It's growing back in and it's like, I don't know if this happens to a lot of people that have cancer, but it's like her hair is not her hair. She's like, it's not my hair. It's like, like curly and wavy. And it's like, wow. like just, it's coming in different. Oh, it's coming um, in hot. It's like, I'm back. In, it's back. But, um, <laughs> But, she, but she's great and she's teaching again. She also teaches improv and teaches kids. And yeah. So, oh um, my I'm God. Very, I'm very yeah. thankful and grateful to, to so many people and things. Wow. That is yeah. such a story. It's, it's such a great story, too, because it reminds me of the fact that we are so connected to each other and that people are fundamentally good. And we, as a default, wish, wish each other well. Yeah. I mean, that's the default, I really believe. Yeah. And we never know what each other is going through. No. You know? no. Even in this in this time where we're disconnected, we can connect in other ways. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Well, Corey, I am so excited for you. Congrats on the book, baby. Thank you so much. He's beautiful. Ah! And he's going to sleep through the night. I can just tell. <laughs> it's and available everywhere. I want just want to say this. I put on my website, which is 
just my name, CoreyRosen.com. I put a list of BIPOC-owned bookstores because Amazing. I know that a lot of people, when they buy a book, they might not want to buy it from the Amazons and the Barnes & Nobles and yep. the big ones. So I have some resources there. So if you want Amazing. to buy it and you're okay with not supporting Amazon, they'll be okay. Please They're going to be website. just fine. Yeah. They're going to be just fine. Yeah. I love that. And people can find your improv classes. They can find your book. I would also recommend to people listening, Corey's an awesome speaker, workshop giver on the corporate side too. So I, um, I'm just so happy for you, Corey. That's just awesome. Thank you. I'm and so thank glad to coming. be back. I'm so yeah. glad to be back. This was a joy and a delight. And I love, I love it. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered hot off the press. Or if you think of someone who could really use this message, share it with them. Also, if you're looking to take this further and go further and faster on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication concept or tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings you'll receive a short little email with three things I am digging right now. It's just a fun little Saturday morning snippet to get you going. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF and LinkedIn. And if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually, I'm your gal. So shoot me a note and let's make some magic happen. Find me at BronwynCommunications.com and shine on. Thank you for listening.